Welcome to Suffolk Money. Uh, over previous weeks, we've worked our way through some fantastically interesting people and their amazing businesses, or found out about charities and community groups that make a difference in the county. However, both last week and this week, we've taken a look at some of the people who make up the team that puts together Suffolk Money, with last week being a conversation with Sally and Kevin Birch and the great work that they have done in the past in the BBC and are doing with us right now in getting our podcast up and running. For someone who has ensured that we present ourselves appropriately and that our branding looks right is Joy Day. Joy runs a wonderful business called Creative Joy, and we were delighted to be able to catch up with her and find out something more about her background. So I'm a born and bred Suffolk girl through and through. Um, I love it here. I've um, worked in different areas, but I've always lived in Suffolk. Um, so I grew up in a little village called Bramford, um, not far from where I live now, and now I live just down the road in Sporting, and um, moved around a little bit in between. Um, but uh, I was fortunate to um, go to the Norwich School of Art and Design, um, and previous to that I'd always enjoyed art, which has led me to the career I do now. I always used to have a sketchbook on the go as a child, and just sort of um, followed my passion really. And so did art at A-level. Um, wasn't quite sure how to make a career of it. So I did a foundation course at the Suffolk um, College, um, as it was called back then. I've lost track of what it's called now. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I then decided I was going to, I kind of tinkered with the idea of doing set design for theatres um, or illustration. And um, I found out that the Norwich School of Art and Design um, is actually a, has a fantastic reputation. So I was able to still live at home and, and commute to Norwich. And I did my degree um, following the illustration path. Um, but luckily the, the course sort of um, able to, students to diversify. So I was able to try my hand at a bit of photography, animation, publishing, and also graphic design. So um, I kind of quickly realized actually, as much as I love drawing, I love the ideas element of design and that whole kind of, um, you're given a brief um, and you've somehow got to get that idea across and you've got probably about two seconds to initially hook someone in. Um, so I, I just fell in love with that. And from there, I kind of followed the path like a lot of students do to London. And um, I was able to secure a really great job at a fantastic um, creative agency um, the other side of London. Um, I moved from there to another agency and sort of gradually climbed, climbed the career ladder. Um, and yeah, just worked for some wonderful global brands, um, which was an absolutely brilliant time in my life. I really enjoyed it. Um, I then kind of decided, although I loved working in London, I never really wanted to move there. I'd stayed in Suffolk and commuted. And I'm really not a morning person. <laughs> so um, eventually, What, what yeah. time were you having to leave home then to get to, to work? Uh, in... Well, compared to a lot of people, not too early, but I did have to get the 10 to 7 train, I think it was. And I would just stand in the shower every morning thinking, I can't do this another day. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but there was a, a few other factors that sort of involved them. Um, I just sort of um, decided anyway to, to seek um, employment closer to home. So I was lucky to get a job at um, Jacob Bailey, um, which is the, the region's leading design agency. And again, working on really big brands. That was fantastic. Um, and then in 2009, that's when I launched um, my own small design studio and um, called it Creative Joy. 
And um, at the time, I'd sort of, I was a senior designer. I'd got plenty of experience under my belt. I kind of knew I could do the design thing. Um, but so obviously the business side was um, where the real challenges lay. But I thought, well, I'll give myself six months, see if I can pay the bills. And if it doesn't work out, I'll get a proper job. Um, and then 12 years on, here we are. So I've yeah, never looked back. So all the way through school, you were art and design just was what you enjoyed yeah I've always loved it and actually one of the lovely things outside of school um one of the things I loved about the village I grew up in it was one wonderful community and we used to put on um annual pantomimes and gang shows and as I got older I sort of used to help with the set design and the painting and gradually sort of took over that that job and so I was always covered head to toe in paint with all these wonderful boards I was painting so I yeah it was just always my passion I just loved it Fantastic. So um, what, what was the one year course at Suffolk College about then? How, how did that sort of fit in with your progression from A-levels across that into... That was a university? foundation course. Um, right. So when I did my A-level, that was, I mean, essentially fine art. And I loved painting, but I, I knew I was never going to be the next sort of Damien Hirst or um, Tracy Emin and just um, the world of fine art seemed to be changing a lot and just being good at painting or drawing kind of wasn't enough really and I just wanted to make sure I knew that I wanted to sort of have make a, a living fairly commercially um rather than just going sort of freelance from the off and um, so the, the foundation course was fantastic it, there was an array of probably like 15 to 20 different subject areas from ceramics to illustration graphic design and animation and so many different ways and printmaking that was a fantastic one and um, so many sort of different areas of the world of art that you could sort of dip into for a one-year course before then progressing onto higher education I mean essentially I did just want to get out and get a job and start working and I kept sort of thinking well I'll just try the next thing and then maybe at that point I can get a job and then of course when I realised um, I was sort of following the path for illustration stroke graphic design realised well I actually do need a degree at a degree so um, yeah <laughs> I went off to go and do that before I could then get my job. And, and again then just looking at that um, university course in, in Norwich that um, did that cover all aspects of of art and design um, or were yeah. you very focused in? So that, that kind of filters down to five different options. So there was illustration, graphic design, publishing, photography and animation. So the first year got to try sort of a fairly equal chunk of all of those. And then for the second and third year, that was the time to, to narrow it down. So I was kind of torn between, I actually enjoyed all areas because they're all kind of quite commercially led and, and the art school, um, the tutors there had brilliant links to different, um, industry areas um but yeah I kind of realized graphic design like I say I love the ideas as well as the sort of having to be creative and being able to draw and paint helped but essentially it was the ideas and and getting the message across and actually being I was always quite good at English I think before I kind of went down um the art side I was kind of thinking of the idea of journalism and so again with graphic design being able to sort of write you know come up with a catchy headline and and the whole campaign rather than just the visual aspects that's kind of what appealed to me the most. Goodness uh so it was what after you'd graduated from that that you then went got the, the job in London? That's right yes yeah I kind of did the um, thing of heaving my A1 portfolio around the streets of London and I was lucky to sort of yeah have quite a lot of interviews and get a couple of job offers I in the end I ended up um, getting a job at Lancaster Gate and um, so I yeah traipsed all the way across London to <laughs> for that job every day but I loved it it was it was fantastic so that was uh, get, getting down to Liverpool Street onto the central line that's right right the way across 
right the way across. And in fact, for quite a large chunk of the first year, there were fire strikes, which meant the tube was down. So <laughs> that was quite a long walk across the streets of London. Every day. <laughs> did you really walk that? <laughs> I did. I mean, actually, a lot of the tube stops are very close together, as you know. Yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, I used to, I've always loved London as a child. We used to, as a child, I used to go up a lot with my parents, my grandparents to see my great aunt in Bethnal Green. And I've always just loved walking the streets of London. So I would kind of just trot along oh look there's big ben <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, must have, that must have been quite a, 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 as much as you love london it must have been mm. quite a culture shock in a way from from okay. a life in in suffolk i suppose so from little sleepy suffolk um it it was but as i say i'd always sort of liked city life love to visit it I'm um, not quite so keen on the whole sort of jostling on the on the tube every day in the commute, but it, you know it, it is what it is, and it was worth it. I mean, like I said, I, I just enjoyed my job so much; it made the sort of the beginning and the end of every day worth it. Um, <laughs> so, of course, I suppose ironically, we're now we'd all now be saying you could just do that sitting at home, I suppose, rather than having no. to make the commute. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, what was that that job then? That was very much. Um, creative design for businesses yes that's right um so like i said we had a lot of large global brands with woolworths which is a blast in the past um we'd sort of design packaging for them there'd be um orange um and as a junior i was given fairly small jobs to begin with like designing oranges christmas card but i mean that was great fun and the um sort of the time that I'd have to work on these things would be sort of weeks, sometimes even going to months. Um, I worked on the Simple Skincare brand um, and that was great. And, and big companies like that would sort of rebrand their entire range every few years. So it really was sort of, you, you know, you have a, a blank sketch pad and like, right, come on, what are we gonna do? Um, are we gonna tweak the brand or are we gonna go for a complete redesign? And often the juniors, right through to the partners, everyone, when a big job came in, would be given a fair crack at the whip. So yeah, it was a great experience and it was sort of a really great way to learn my craft. And the great thing with that is um, when I work with the smaller businesses that I tend to work with mostly now, I sort of feel that I can bring in the, sort of the big brand training that I had um, and use that same approach, the same ethos, not quite the same timescales quite often, it's a much quicker turnaround. Um, uh, but yeah, I like to sort of bring that experience. Um, so was, was that a similar thing that you were then doing when you moved back and, and got the role in, in Ipswich? That's right, with Jacob Bailey, we were working um, with BT um, and Eon, One Railways. Um, so again, quite often sort of big briefs, um, again, starting with that kind of blue sky approach, like, um, okay, this is the message, how are we gonna get that across with maximum impact? So what sort of got you to the point of thinking, well, now's the time, I'm gonna give it a try, gonna start uh -huh. my own business? Well, so 2009, I don't know if you remember back then, um, we, we hit what was being called the credit crunch. I think everyone was too nervous to call it recession. Um, I just returned to work after maternity leave, having my second baby. And unfortunately they were starting, it was the second round of redundancies. They'd made a lot of the admin team um, redundant, unfortunately. And as the only part-time designer in the firm, I was kind of next. So it was, you know, in one respect, it was really sad. And, and in the other, um, like a lot of people who are made redundant, it was actually a really great opportunity. And I'd got to the point where I was, a, you know, a senior designer. I knew I'd got the experience under my belt and I had started to think maybe I could do this. Um, who knows if I would have ever made the leap if I, if I didn't have that little push. Um, but yeah, and the other thing was um, having a young family, like many industries, the design industry, we, we work long hours. 
Um, so I kind of thought if I go for another job, another agency, um, it, you know, I was no stranger to working to be on midnight. And with a young family, those days were kind of starting to, yeah, be very challenging. So that's the other side of um, working for yourself, isn't it? You're able to work at home and juggle all different aspects of your life. Um, so again, it was one of those where I thought, right, well, we'll just give it a go. We'll give it six months, see if we can make this work. And if not, then, you know, we'll try other, other options. I think I've always been an optimist. I've always sort of thought, you know, why not? You know, give it a go, see what happens. And, and you can always move on to plan B. But can you remember the first job that you took on? Um, Crikey. Um, uh, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. <laughs> I just wondered if it, I mean, I can remember when we and I started this, I could tell you the first yes. two or three uh, people that we worked with. Um, yeah, I'd probably um, even drive you to their door <laughs> oh, <laughs> because you sort of get, get so engrossed in it and it's yeah. so important. Yeah, um, well, there were there were several sort of very small jobs. So working on sort of items of stationery, business cards, branded pens, that kind of thing. For um, one of them, some some um, actually was a, a girl I used to work with at Jacob Bailey and her husband was um, a, a, a building developer and he needed new stationery. And like a lot of small businesses, um, I managed to get um, clients to turn to me because during the credit crunch and everything, budgets were tight. So I was able to offer that kind of level of service, but without all the bells and whistles of a traditional agency. So my prices were much, much lower, overheads much lower. Um, so lots of very small jobs. Um, so that, I think that was one of my biggest challenges that working for big brands at the likes of Jacob Bailey, starting out by myself, Although Jacob Bailey were very supportive and helped me sort of with my portfolio and everything, there was no way I could approach the likes of BT and say, "Oh, come with me." <laughs> you know, you yeah. have to be realistic. It's so, um, but I think the recession, like I say, did kind of almost work um, in my favour in that there were lots of smaller organisations who were looking for sort of different alternatives to the traditional design agency. So um, I can't, yeah, I can't remember too many of that initial list, if I'm honest. It's all a little bit of a blur. I think there was a lot of working late, juggling my daughters who were two and one at the time. And that's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's hazy days when I think back now. So how do you think over time you've sort of picked up the portfolio that you've now got or the people who you now work with? How, how, has your, how have you developed that brand and how have you grown that business? Um, there's been a lot of networking. Suffolk is fantastic for that. There's been lots of um, different groups that I've joined over the years. Um, I did a lot of reaching out, a lot of um, research and um, putting pen to paper, doing it the old fashioned way, kind of um, drawing up a wish list of people I really wanted to work with and reaching out to them. And, and a lot of patience. Um, I found that just because I've identified a firm that I want to work with, you know, they might not be in a position to, to then think, yeah, okay, we've, we've got something for you to work on immediately. So um, keeping in contact with them and it's often a slow burner um, and being, sometimes there's been the element of being at the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. I know um, when I've been networking again, that's one of those where you, you can't expect to walk away with a job in your pocket. That's not how it works. Um, but you don't quite know, who you're networking to. So there was one chap who I gave my business card to and he was starting a business. Um, and in the end, it turned out it wasn't him who needed my services, but his wife, who was the head of marketing at quite a large organization, he kindly um, passed my card on. She'd just started in a new organization, was looking to make a splash with 
a different um, creative. Um, so that ter that's turned out to be one of the sort of the best contracts that I've had over the, the last few years. So Amazing. yeah, that, that was lucky. I nearly didn't go that morning as well. I was really <laughs> so done to do with work, but you know, it's like, oh no, you know, you, you've got to put yourself out there, haven't you? Even when you're busy, you've got to be thinking what's happening in six months, nine months time. And uh, keep So working. what sort of networking tends to work best for you? Because obviously there's different formats and structures, isn't there? What, yeah. what do you like best? There are. Um, so... Before the pandemic, I, I did obviously enjoy the face-to-face -face networking. Um, I sort of, I've, I've always been a member of the Suffolk Chamber of Commerce, and I've really enjoyed their meetings. I'm not very, um, well, I'm saying not very good. I prefer sort of brunches where you can mill around the room rather than lunches where you're sort of sat down. Um, I, yeah, it's nice to sort of meet as many people as as possible. Um, so yeah, the, the Chamber of Commerce has been great. There's also been um, Avanti and wire um and a, a couple of others i've dipped my toe in now and again i've, I've never really done the breakfast meetings because as i mentioned earlier i'm just not a morning person i know that's <laughs> not my time to shine <laughs> so i've, I've stick with them <laughs> yeah that's very good um and how do you see the, the, the way your business will develop do you think that it is something you want to grow or is it just to fit around your lifestyle how do, how do you see that or is that yeah, not something right. you think through that's an interesting question and especially in the early years people would ask me a lot so what's your five-year plan or when are you going to grow when are you going to take people on and at first I kept sort of thinking yeah I suppose I need to do that I must start employing people but then I kind of um settled into it and realized I don't want to grow this the, the way that I run my business does seem to work really well. So I've decided um, sort of over the last five years or so, no, I'm I'm proudly and deliberately small. Um, I work well as a one woman operation, but not just me. The, the great thing is that I often collaborate with local experts when needed. So I've got a fantastic local printer that I that are my go to now. Um, a website developer, um, photographer. So for those clients that just want a small um, quick brochure you know that's fine but if someone who needs more you know um the kind of the, whole, the full creative service I know that I've got a full team that I can turn to but because the arrangement is flexible that means my overheads and my fees stay low which again sort of appeals generally to the smaller businesses that I work with um, if I start taking people on I know that I'll be managing them more and doing what I love less and selfishly I very much just want to stay doing that so what makes Suffolk special is that obviously our the podcast is all about really Suffolk and people and businesses in Suffolk but what makes Suffolk a good place to do business from what you've experienced? Um, I think Suffolk is quite entrepreneurial there, there do seem to be a lot of startups um, a lot of businesses that have started up over the last few years that thrive um, and we all like buying local and that local message I think over the last year especially has become stronger than ever um, and I think especially when I first started out having sort of first started in London that whole thing about a postcode not being important it's about what you do was really important to me and I wanted to kind of I know there's a few other agencies um, with sort of directors who have done the same thing they started in London like spring um, I think that's a brilliant example um, Erica I think is who runs the agency um, kind of wanted to show that it's not all about living in the city and also working my you know most of my clients are based in Suffolk so I know the area I know Suffolk people and so it, it kind of 
it's kind of quite a circular benefit, I think, really. Um, and it's a beautiful region we live in. Um, I've, like I say, I've grown up in sort of small villages and as much as I've loved city life when I've worked there and visited, there's nothing that makes me happier than walking along the river Gipping and looking at the wildlife and listening to the birds. And you can live out in the sticks a little bit, but you're still close enough to, to the towns um, to sort of to be able to benefit from, from both um, points really. Yeah, I think again, as you said, that this last year has really shown that, hasn't it? That um, you've got the space in Suffolk, you, whether it's the coast or the countryside. Um, but I think you're right. It's a very um, collaborative place to work in many ways. Mm. There's not a sort of a doggy dog attitude. It's people no. are very willing to support new businesses and give advice and help and encouragement. Absolutely. And a lot of the um, industries, and I don't know my industries, is really competitive. Um, but there's there's space for us all. And I'm more than happy to sometimes if I've been really busy, I can pass work on to a colleague that I've worked with in the past who is also freelancing. And that may also happen back. Um, there's there's space for us all. Um, it's not dog eat dog. It's it can be really collaborative. And that I find I think that's really healthy. Mm. Well, it, it's been lovely just to sort of get a little bit more of an understanding about what you do. So thank you for that. And thank you too for the work that you've done for us. So full disclosure that you've been helping us with our branding and yes. getting everything up and running with Suffolk Money. So that's been been really oh, helpful. That's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for asking me on today. It's um, <laughs> it's good to have the chance to sort of chat about it all and reflect as well, actually, because I do feel sometimes life is so busy that you kind of sort of almost forget to stop and look back at the journey as it were um so like when you said to me who were your first clients that seems so long ago <laughs> it's, yeah it's nice to pause and to think back now and again yeah well absolutely and uh yeah it's uh, certainly something I'm very keen to to just endorse the work that you've done it's been absolutely brilliant and um I just think from our perspective knowing that it's local too is very very important to us so we talk a lot about doing things in Suffolk so we want to support other Suffolk businesses so yeah very important to us oh thank you Colin it's really good to speak to you Thank you to Joy for being able to give us some information about her background and how she grew her creative Joy business into what it is now. You'll be aware that Suffolk Money is supported by Kingsfleet Wealth, which is, after all, what I do as my day job. So I was able to speak with two of my colleagues, Gary and Stuart, and we thought we'd have a conversation about some of the ways in which you can save money or budget effectively. So there's some great ideas coming up, so grab a pen and paper and try and apply as many of these as you possibly can, and I'm sure your finances will be better off for it. So I'm now with uh, Stuart and with Gary, and uh, we're the financial planners at Kingsley Wealth collectively, and so we think we'd just have an opportunity to look at some simple in our view anyway simple budgeting and money saving ideas because ultimately whilst we deal with people on their pensions and their investments and their longer term arrangements if you can save money in the short term that's always a very good move so gentlemen let's uh, let's start you off gary yeah, start us off with one of your best money saving ideas 
Uh, so best money saving ideas is just yeah make sure you don't auto renew your your insurances your various insurances whether it's home insurance car insurance uh always and you get a, a, a quote whether that's a comparison website or going direct to a provider and um yeah just bring your provider and then say what the cheapest quote is i i, I did this recently myself um with my car insurance and and my provider matched my cheapest quote so i didn't even have the hassle of transferring to another provider and i still got the, the cheapest rate uh, in, the, in the market did that mean you had to go without not getting a cuddly toy or um or something like that as a result though it did unfortunately yeah. <laughs> uh, my, my kids tend to take the uh, the cuddly toys when they come across but uh, i haven't had to change provider now for two or three years so I've, I've missed out on at least three toys but you haven't had an increase in costs at all but i haven't had an increase in costs so that's yeah. been useful very good excellent work and uh, Stuart, what about you yeah interestingly um so the last couple of things that a few things that i've i've done obviously uh, budgeting is a is a normal one that that strikes fear into most most people when they hear the word budgeting and generally within a within a household it's uh, there's one person that tends to take the lead on that um in my house hold my household unsurprisingly it's me uh, i also put the bins out as well because uh, that's a blue job <laughs> but um the other sort of simple things are is checking the mortgage rate you know um often these mortgage rates can roll on maybe you've got a discount on your variable variable rate and it moves on to the standard variable rate um, which can in, often be quite high so I, I put a general check in to do to do a review of that at least annually just to make sure it's competitive I think the certainly the pandemic and everything else that's happening around the world um, is as is, is heightened I think um, people's budgets or tighten them um, but also actually changed a lot of the, the deals that are out there uh, on an ongoing basis so yeah that's that's the probably the key couple of key things I would I would mention, Colin. Yeah, I mean certainly on the mortgage side of things, I would just say if you're someone who has a, a, a an income that varies, you know, let's say you might get bonuses on a on a, on a ba- on an annual basis or monthly or something, then do look into offset mortgages because they're a really good way of holding money in savings that yes, you might use in six months or twelve months, but during that period of time that you're holding it and offsetting your mortgage, you're saving the interest rate that's applicable to the mortgage. And 99 times out of 100, mortgage rates are higher than savings rates at the moment. So that's a really good way for people who perhaps have either some control over their income, maybe dividends, they run a small business or something. Or if you, as I say, if you get bonuses, which you do still intend to spend, but while they're sitting waiting to do something it could just avoid you paying interest on your mortgage so well worth having a look into those um gary what's what's your what's your next one i suppose it's very similar to, to my first is you know paying car insurance or home insurance up front uh you know, direct monthly direct debits is always an option and it seems affordable but there seems to be with most providers quite a, a, le- a high interest rate attributed to those so it could be as high as 29% um, that you may not or may or may not know that you're paying. So if you've got the available funds to, to pay up front, I would do. And then if you've then got or you need the, the self-discipline to actually save that basis, divide it by 12 and put, you know, open up a savings account and uh, do a standing order for the account into a, a savings account. And then you've got next year's premium uh, you know, there or thereabouts. So it will probably change year on year. But then linking it back to what you've just said there, Colin, about offset mortgages, 
that's again money that could potentially be used to to you know offset any mortgage interest rate so uh, yeah saving the money for for future future annual insurances mm -hmm. very useful yeah excellent Stuart you've got another one yeah a couple of things actually um I think we're all familiar or seen solar panels on people's roofs uh, over the years. Uh, I know there was big incentives from the government initially when they came out to, to do that. Um, but, but actually putting that aside, because a lot of those incentives have since disappeared because it's been successful and people taking it up. But actually, there's still a saving to be made on your, your energy costs. Um, and also, if we think um, from an investment perspective, um, ESG or ethical investment is ethical investment is also known uh, and whether it be green energy is another sort of linked in is where all the the future if you like but also one of the other things that is um, is the renewable heat incentive so this is an incentive that's running um, by the government until um, I think March of next year um, and it's where you know if you need a new boiler or new heating system there are incentives and they're quite I think they're quite generous um, it's so I, I, I would encourage people to, to investigate that um, before that uh, incentive ends in a year's time. Mm, yeah, certainly look out for things where there are incentives. That's a big help. Um, I would just want to add, going back to the point that Gary just made about putting money aside for bills and, and so on. So my slight obsession on this, and yes, it can add some additional complication to your life, but actually with online banking, it can actually make life really simple. And that is about having savings accounts and current accounts for more than one purpose. So let me try and explain. So back in the old days, when I used to work in a bank, people would have their bank account and a savings account, and that was it. And their pay would go into their bank account. And then during the month, they would see direct debits going out of the bank account, and they'd be trying to work out what was still going to be left by the end of the month, and the rest they could draw out in cash in the days when we used to use cash. Um, and, uh, and then they would have to try and keep in their mind what remained. Well, there's just no need for all of that. Even now, uh, I can't believe people don't do this. So my argument would be have two current accounts, so one that receives your pay, the other one that pays out all your direct debits. And let's say your pay comes in on the 28th of the month, the same day or the following day, transfer enough over for what you know your direct debits and standing orders are going to be through the following month. And then that's sorted. That's all done. And then what's left in your original bank account is enough to then cover whatever food you've got to pay or expenditure in nightlife or whatever it is that you're into. Um, and that bit is all taken care of because you know that what remains in your original current account where your salary has been paid is your money to spend whereas the bills that you've got paid uh, you're being paid every month uh, are then going out of your other bank account but you can then take that a stage further and then say well actually do I want to save for a holiday this year well the best thing to do is to put a little bit aside every month rather than have a sudden shock of a big bill for a holiday or for Christmas. So why not open a different savings account for each of those additional objectives? So think of it that if you'd got paid in cash, you would have a jam jar for holidays, a jam jar for Christmas, a jam jar for birthdays, a jam jar for car expenditure, a jam jar, as Gary was saying, for your insurance costs. And instead of having jam jars, have savings accounts. So you can be earning something on it in the meantime. Put the money in every month and it's taken care of. 
And you know then that when it comes to Christmas, when it comes to spending for your holiday, when it comes to buying birthday presents or expenditure on the car, you have money that's already there. You don't need to borrow anything. And that's the big thing. The whole purpose of budgeting, the whole purpose of having additional savings accounts is so that you don't pay somebody else to borrow. You don't pay a bank, a building society. You don't pay a credit card company for borrowing money that you will then have to pay back and you pay them extra for doing it. It's better that you get extra while the money's in savings and then you can spend it how you wish. So any other I'm, points? A, I'm a massive advocate for that and I, I do that myself. Um, the only slight difference is uh, me and my partner have two separate bank accounts for us to spend our own money. So whatever she wants to spend her money on doesn't affect me and, and vice versa. But yeah, having as many, and as you say, internet banking this day, these days, it's so easy to create additional accounts here and there. You can name them um, however you wish. So they're not just savings account one, two, three, and you forget which one's which. Mm. So yeah, really good for, for, for budgeting going forwards. Yeah. We even, we even decided to do that last year. My, so my wife said, well, it's about time we have the hall and landing and stairs and everything all decorated. And it's one of those things you can't get everything done at once, especially obviously over the last year, haven't always been able to have people in because I can't use a paintbrush so um we have to get somebody in for it so it's always going to be staggered so we worked out exactly what it would be put that money into a separate account allocated that for that particular task and then that was that was it we didn't need to be stressing or worrying about what was our other savings could we at some stage have another holiday or whatever um because actually the funds that we were going to spend on that were allocated so yeah we even had a you know painting fund or something like that and um and that was great just yeah, watching it dwindle now, obviously, <laughs> but at least it's being used for the purpose that we planned it for. Back to Stuart's point on, on energy, really, it's just being signed up to a, a provider that will notify you if a, a cheaper rate comes up. Um, you know, there's a lot of free services out there that allows you to, to tell you what tariff you're on. And then as soon as there's a cheaper rate in the market, they'll um, they'll send you a little note to say there's a cheaper cheaper provider out there and you can switch and a lot of these switches are fairly easy these days you can do online some even you get some sort of cash back incentive to to do so there's this there's, there's you know positives from just being signed up to a provider to notify you of, of their energy tariffs mm, cool yeah that's a good one um the only one i would just add is uh if you're paying into something for your own benefit for later so the, the obvious one is pension contributions that often people start with a pension and they say oh fantastic that's it all sorted you know i've now putting in however much it is every month or your employer is doing it and people have a tendency to just leave it and then a time comes later on when they'll have a review and they'll say oh actually maybe i should put some more in well the best thing you could do is every single year increase your pension contributions. Um, now, I would suggest a fixed amount like 5% or 10%, but you should do at least by the level of inflation every year at an absolute minimum. Um, and the reason being, if you're saying that you're putting aside X pounds per month with a view to having a certain income when you retire, the only way that's going to keep its value is if you continue to pay in in line with inflation. So it's really important that you do that. Um, because it's something that people often overlook. And um, a couple of years ago, we had the privilege of dealing with somebody who had done exactly that. And this is a guy who's at retirement age, and he'd increased his pension contributions every year by 10%. And he, he was in a 
not a particularly high paid job, but his pension fund was absolutely enormous. And I, I, the first thing I said to him is, how did you sort of grow this fund? And he said, I've just increased my pension contributions to, by 10% every single year. And um, well, that guy's retirement is going to be superb. So um, yeah, it's just a really good example to me of just not letting things just carry on in the background but being engaged with it and and do something of value yeah and reviewing the, the performance of the investments i think would be be another one i think there's too many people that i speak to that get to later life and says that their pension has underperformed but they've not done anything about it yeah um so yeah even if you don't have the the knowledge to be able to do it yourself whether seeking some advice would would be beneficial just to see if you're on the right course Absolutely, because taking back to another thing that I have no idea about, I've already admitted to painting, but how my car works, I've really got no idea how it works, which is why I have to have it serviced. Because as you said, Gary, how would I know if it's not, if it's safe, if I don't understand it? Or how would I know if it's running to its optimal level if I don't understand it? And um, likewise, if you're not overly sure about your finances, overly certain about where your pension contributions go, or if they're doing well, the only way you're going to get that confirmed or not is by talking to someone who can understand it and can explain it to you so having an annual review of those makes perfect sense as always do give us some feedback go on to our facebook page which is suffolk money and uh, find us there leave us some comments give us some feedback and uh, do the same on your podcast facility of choice, whichever one you're using. If you can give us some feedback through there as well, we'd love to receive that. Please do uh, recommend us to your friends so that they can get some benefit from the stories that we're bringing. And also, if you've got any news items that you can keep us informed about, then we'd love to hear those as well. So we hope that we'll see you next time on Suffolk Money. Suffolk Money.